0: He wrote about many aspects of Cincinnati that other journalists at the time ignored. He was one of the first ones to write seriously and with respect about the African-Americans in Cincinnati, says Steve Kem, president of the Lafcario Hearn Society of the United States, for City Beat in 2019. Tonight, we talk about the life and work of Lafcario Hearn, also known as Koizumi Yakumo, who started his literary career in Cincinnati and finished it by uncovering the stories of the strange things from Japan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Presents, the Hometown Haunts Podcast. I am your host, Kat Kloko, and tonight with me in the shadows are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. They'll be back with us shortly. You can follow us on social media at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and Mail at gmail.com. That's where we would love for you to send us all of your hometown haunts, all your ghost stories, personal paranormal encounters, creepy cryptids, and fun, weird history from your neck of the woods. Also join our Facebook group at hometown haunts and share your spooky stories and aforementioned creepy cryptids and fun tales from your area along with other people doing the same. Also, Christina and I pop in quite often with entertaining stories. Uh, We're an official podcast that can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts, Thank you, Jen. And if you want to see us while we're doing the show, which you can do, you can watch the video feed on YouTube. Hello, everyone on YouTube. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. And please rate and review us so other spooky history lovers just like you can find the show and hopefully enjoy it. I hope everyone enjoys it. Show news. I think I'll bring Christina back on for this portion of the show hey how's it going oh it's a cold and blustery cincinnati weekend
1: (laughs) it is um i guess not except for football fans who were probably probably all out exactly who day
0: (laughs) um i sound (laughs) so square saying that (laughs) because <laughs> I don't follow football.
1: But I don't either. I don't either. Um, congratulations, you know, is...
0: Bangles, for beating the Titans. The game was on last night while I was up here working on today's show, and I could hear my husband and little guy cheering. Little Aww. guy cluelessly cheering, because um Mike was cheering. So little dude Aww, like,
1: that's so I'm cute. gonna do the same. <laughs> <laughs> and um, of course, uh we've got the book back from the printer and all merch is ordered so we will be mailing probably the end of this week beginning next week depending how long it takes for us to enter we're doing a new mailing system mm-hmm. which is not compatible with of course the old mailing system so we have to re-enter a bunch of addresses um, oh i know i know I'm going to have to see. I've not used this shipping service before. Perhaps they let you upload an Excel file. Um, Those are Kickstarter problems when you're trying to figure out how to mail this stuff to a couple hundred people. Yeah. Um, But everything looks really great. So I'm excited for everybody to get it. Sketches are being worked on and everything's being signed. So hopefully this week we'll get the rest of the labels signed.
0: Yes, we have signature plaques for every book and uh, it'll be fun jamming all of our names on there but uh
1: i have to say i'm a little nervous of putting those stickers in each book that will be do
0: it carefully have soothing music Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm.
1: uh and have to do it in a cat-free room and have
0: to do it in a cat-free room exactly like everyone should maybe we should wear hair (laughs) nuts
1: It probably is not a bad idea. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be interesting. Yes. And yes, we'll have to have lo- shut the cats in the basement so that we can very carefully put these labels on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and oh my um, goodness.
1: yeah, oh. but the other stickers are gonna look really cool. Um, it was really fun to proof them and look at them as we were uploading. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's gonna really like them. I mean, that's one fun part. I love getting to see the stickers when they come out. And I'm looking forward to seeing next
0: year's as well. Yeah, they always they, they always come out so well. And uh, I love everyone's interpretations of the different mm-hmm. creatures and ghosts around. They're fantastic. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh yeah. Looking and forward if, to all that. And then issue three. We are, we're, we're <laughs> submissions are now open, everyone, for issue three. If you had not been following our social media. Um, so oh yeah where are we on this so we have the topics for the third cabinet of cincinnati cabinet of curiosities comics anthology they are the darby lee cemetery in mount st joseph ohio the witch hill in alexandria kentucky the delta queen's resident ghost on the ohio river the trenton hatchet man of trenton ohio the oxford light of oxford ohio and the allendale Train tunnel in Ellesmere, Kentucky. Side note if you hear somebody screaming in the background, I believe that is the little guy. So, um, not a ghost that is a living toddler somewhere in this house. So, if you or anyone you know who is interested in participating in this year's comic anthology, proposals are open. They open January 19th and they run till the 28th, 2022. If you're looking for Uh, We are, sorry, we are looking for both artists and writers, people who do both, like myself, or teams, like Jay and Dylan from Issue 1, who are artists and writers. And uh, we will try, if maybe you're a writer and you want to have an artist and you submit something, we may be able to help you find an artist. I'm not sure if I can say vice versa, (laughs) (laughs) but... (laughs) Uh, maybe i don't
1: know i I suppose it depends if there's somebody that has written a story and an artist comes to us saying they want to do something we might be able to match it up it really depends on the story and the artist
0: Mm -hmm. exactly
1: each person has their own unique skills
0: yes Uh, our (laughs) request that
1: came from my end um
0: our request is that you are in the cincinnati Cincinnati metro area or have roots here in the cincinnati metro area which is the city of cincinnati northern kentucky southern indiana or southwest ohio region and each proposal should be for a comic that is three to six pages in length with character setting and a plot summary uh sample art is also helpful please also add a link to your social media accounts or portfolio. This is all asked for in the form, by the way. Um, Also submitted in a PDF format. And to note, these are all paid positions. You get an advance and then you also get paid later on in the year. And we pay competitive page rates compared to publishers around our size. So If you want it's
1: exciting, yeah. It is
0: exciting. I was about to say you can want more information, go to cincycuriosities.com. That's C I N C Y Curiosities.com. If it's forward slash submissions, it will take you right to the page and I'll have all the details that I just read out on the page.
1: Yeah, you put together a really comprehensive form. It works really well. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's interesting because one of the things I'm teaching illustration right now at NKU. And one of the things I teach the students to do is make their work in a PDF, which, of course, all the design students know how to do. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times the students that haven't done design don't know how to do that. And it's such a good exercise for uploading stuff like this.
0: It really Um, is.
1: You know, it's it's part of becoming a professional artist is knowing how to do these sorts of things, making PDFs and putting stuff together uh, to upload to someone.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. Because it's submitting not just for job positions, but also for conventions. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like I just submitted some some portfolios actually to conventions. And now they're all reviewed. They're all juried artist Mm -hmm. alleys now. So in art fairs. So you have to do that via PDF or send them to a website where they can download a PDF. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's all part of the business now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So getting getting friendly with that is um, just the way things are now, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of helps us know if, you know, when we give you a template, if it will actually be correct.
0: Oh goodness, I love all the artists, but goodness, we give a template, follow the template.
1: It's not an unstandard template. So <laughs> it's really, you know, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, it can get most jobs have specs and it's just getting yeah. used to it but you know that's way that's way at the cart before the horse I mean, yeah that is you know <laughs> the uh, cart is rolled down the hill i think we're just it's just fresh in our minds it's because... going through the village <laughs> it's run
0: over a child or two and the exactly. horse is just standing on top of the now i'm the thinking hill. of the
1: show witcher i don't know i, I just i just <laughs> roach is on just,
0: top of the building i was
1: just picturing glitched. i was just picturing that show when you oh, when yeah. you described the cart going through the village yeah yeah, I pictured a long-haired man and, you know, battles and that sort of thing. <laughs> and there's Henry Cavill. Exactly. exactly. I guess field. I guess that just means it's always on our mind. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, since we just finished the last issue, you know, any kind of issues with graphic design just sort of are sticking in our minds. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Um, but speaking of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, you can find me. Um on March 15th, for between 6.30 and 8 p.m., I will be doing a talk for University of Cincinnati, Cincinnati's Cincinnati's. <laughs> uh, com- <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, Communiversity, which is the School of Continuing Education. And uh, the tickets are $39 each, but they include both volumes of uh, issue one and two with an opportunity for them to be signed at the end of the talk. And I'll be talking about the cabinet of curiosities to stories, how we find them, how we turn them into uh, sequential art stories retelling the history of Cincinnati. So it's, I think I'm rather fun to watch in live person. I don't know. That's just my own opinion here, but I very passionately speak about all things strange and spooky around cincinnati to use james's terms also um we'll have a link in the show notes uh it's at the uc.edu and then continuing education the link is too long for me to even bother reading it here Mm -hmm. but also i do request that you wear a mask during this because i have as you have heard in the background a toddler running around and he can't be vaccinated yet so please wear a mask
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's a great deal if you want to see cat talk. Um, so I hope a lot of people take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's oh, been, yeah. it's kind of been a slow transition because I used to do several you know, school visits. I've never made that a huge amount of my business doing school visits and library visits, but I do them occasionally. And they're usually a lot of fun. Oh um, yeah. I'm not sure how much, how long it will be again until we're doing a lot of them. Right. Um, but it is a great way to you know see people talk about their work and mm-hmm.
0: yeah uh, it I love doing them it's mm-hmm. it's I'm I used to do them all the time for um paranormal conventions and mm-hmm. at anime and manga conventions I used to teach how to draw manga classes so nice. uh especially going back to when I wrote Ohio's haunted crime oh my goodness I love that. I love, I've taught at the Matt Anthony writers conference doing like how you take historical works and turn them into books of uh, nonfiction. Um, And then also writing for true crime. And then I've also spoken at libraries across the United States on this topic. So Mm -hmm. it it it.
1: sounds really interesting. So uh, everybody sign up for that and see cat in Mm -hmm. action
0: yes we have one more request before we start tonight's show and that is please vote for us at the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities the hometown haunts podcast for this year's city beats best of cincinnati 2022 we are a writing candidate for best local podcast we're surprising them um doing so will just help support the podcast and the project that we're doing with the anthology series by just bringing more attention to it and uh I guess maybe some notoriety. Um yeah, it's just fun. You can find us in the city life section of the big of the polls. Now they do make you sign up for a city beat account when you get in there though. It's I not discovered. that big of a deal. It's I it's not
1: and actually everything in Best of Cincinnati is right in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you see so many repeat entries that have that like true. slightly different spelling and that sort of thing. It usually that takes a true. little while to cycle. It should be up there now. Um, I can't check it cause I already voted, but, yeah. um, usually it takes them a while to get all the different names up, but it, it basically is all right in. So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody could, I mean, it would be great to get on the list. Um, and I had no idea there were ma- that many podcasts in Cincinnati.
0: I actually had, um, the Crime Town historian one that was that I actually already followed um mm-hmm. oh man morning mugshot that's it yeah they're based in, here in cincinnati but they talk about true crime from all over the country uh-huh. and uh yeah i i'm actually already a subscriber of that oh nice yeah so um it was kind of like mm if i didn't already
1: have a podcast i would totally vote for you <laughs> well you know Yes. There is always that. Yes. But so. yes, please do that. And as I also, I think you already said to, you know, any review that you get, can give us or rating on mm-hmm. any of the services like iTunes or Spotify or whatever, you know, please mm-hmm. do. That kind of helps us get more coverage and more view, viewers that way, you know, because it will suggest them to other people. Yes. Got to
0: play those algorithms. So after 15 <laughs> minutes of news... <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, uh, are we ready to get on with tonight's show? I think so. All right. Are we gonna bring Jen back on? Yes, so we are going into his Cincinnati's forgotten famous person, Lafcardio Hearn. So, sources for tonight's show, and my goodness, there are many. Is the Cincinnati Inquirer and the various articles by Jeff Cease so many articles uh wikipedia uh manga nippon Banshi uh banashi uh kaiwadan which is the book that he wrote or Ka- kaidan kaidan. oh my goodness it's a long day kaidan uh ghosts in the japanese cultural experience in japan with in japan death legends in Japanese death legends, there we go. I put a comma in the wrong place. This is by Michiko Iwasaka and Bear Tolkien. Um, exploring Old Tokyo, uh, Lafcario Hearn Memorial Museum at Matsue, the Yoshabunko, Cincinnati Hamilton County Public Library, City Beat, and the LaCardio Hearn Society of the United States of America. And finally, the Japan Research Center of Greater Cincinnati. So we have a lot sources for tonight's show. And the reason being is this was my specialty in college, is Japanese mythology through history. So get ready for basically hearing my dissertation all over again about 14 years later. So Patrick Lofkario Hearn was born on June 27th, 1850 on the Greek island of Lefkada. This was where he gets his middle name and what he uses as his Uh, first name most his entire life by the age of 19 he has been he has moved to dublin ireland then was abandoned by his mother then by his father and then finally abandoned by his great aunt who had given guardianship who was given guardianship of of him because she died so at age 19 on august 2nd, 1869, he immigrated to the United States and moved to Cincinnati in March of 1870. The executor of his great aunt's estate had a sister living here in Cincinnati, and that's why he moved here. But the opportunity didn't pan out for him once he arrived in the city. So for a while, he lived in warehouses and worked as a proofreader for the Cincinnati Inquirer, then the Cincinnati Daily Inquirer until he gained work as a full-time journalist for the newspaper he worked for the inquirer from 1872 to 1875 so he was a very he he really got a lot of his um how do how do i say this he became a really good writer while working for the inquirer so much so that his writing style became so distinct that without the bylines general readers around Cincinnati could pinpoint which one of the articles were Hearn's. And there was a lot of different reasons why his first article was for the Enquirer was published on November 4th, 1872 and was titled London sites, which in Hearn's atmospheric writing style described Whitechapel and where uh, we, we just know a man named Jack the Ripper tended to kind of go through a few decades later Uh, Hearn had a big love for writing about ordinary people and people that traditionally weren't the topics of newspaper articles. So this is really just right out the gate. He was interested in this. His topics covered the macabre side of city living, writing about the grave diggers, which we talked about in our opening season three episode, dock workers here, laborers, mediums, and prostitutes around Cincinnati. He wrote a lot about the uh, bones being dug up from the popper's field while the Cincinnati Music Hall was being built. And his descriptions of the bones and the tattered burial shrouds being excavated and just yanked out of the ground unceremoniously by the gravediggers and the people excavating the area is just chef's kiss. It's so good. You could just imagine yourself standing in the field next to him as he's writing in his notepad, just describing everything that he did and was viewing at the time. Um, what makes what makes his writing so striking? He also interviewed bunches of ordinary people. As I just said, he connected to people in a way that most journalists didn't at the time. Very much a early anthropologist in a way or sociologist where he went down to the dock workers to the shoremen, listened to the songs they were singing, documented the songs and the lyrics and what beat they were working at with with the song and really archived a lot of Americana and ordinary daily living when people weren't doing that at the time. Um, Anthropologists and sociologists would not be doing this for another 20 years and he was out there already describing daily life for the everyman. So I, this and he did this all in Cincinnati this is just I love his early writings it gives such a good description of what the city was like um the 1874 coverage of the tenured murder made Hearn a household name in Cincinnati so if you weren't already tracking what he was writing on his true crime beats for the Inquirer this is when you did and his articles became so popular And it lasted for so long, like the entire. He documented the murder, the bodies being found, all the way through the trial and all of that. His base pay went from ten dollars a week to twenty five dollars a week because the Enquirer became the top selling newspaper in the city. For the record, I looked it up. Twenty five dollars a week is now equivalent to five hundred thirty two dollars a week. That's how much he was making for his articles, which is stellar. Um also in 1874, Hearn and a young Henry Henry Farney, later a renowned painter of the American West, wrote and illustrated and published an eight-page weekly journal of art, literature, and satire enti- entitled Ye Gigalumps. I am sorry if I just mispronounced that one. In eight, 1883, the ham- or sorry, the night my goodness, my centuries. <sighs> In 1983, the Hamilton Public Library published reprints of all nine journals uh, of ye gigan lumps. And it's wonderful satire of the time and it got him in trouble later in life. But it was a, just like his writings with his articles. It was a wonderful time capsule of how politics was being done in Cincinnati and uh, how it affected people. On June 17th, 1874, Hearn married 20-year-old Alethea, I love that name, Maddie Foley, an African-American woman who was also a former slave. She was the cook at the boarding house where Hearn lived at the time, and their marriage was a violation of Ohio's um, interracial marriage laws. So basically, you couldn't marry outside your deemed race so him marrying a black woman was a very bad thing but no one actually noticed for over a year like no one said anything no one really cared uh they were married for a little over a year before the inquirer fired him only because the clergyman complained about his clergyman around the city wrote in complaining about um basically his anti-religious stances in his articles. And also a lot of the politicians were super embarrassed by he and Henry's writings and ye-gigalumps. So they the inquirer used his marriage that no one cared about, like no one was terribly concerned about it, um, as the excuse for firing him. But the Cincinnati commercial, the competing newspaper to the inquirer, was more than happy to hire him, and they did. And he worked for them for a number of years after um, he was fired from uh, in the Inquirer. And there he actually wrote even more progressive articles. Um the Inquirer did attempt to uh woo him back and re- rehire him. But uh Hearn was just so enraged with how he had treated how he was treated by them and why the the excuse they gave that he was just like, no, hell no, I'm not coming back to you. So, uh, during the time, um, he wrote a lot of great articles detailing the life of African Americans post-Civil War. He championed the case of Henrietta Wood, uh, a former slave who won the largest major reparations case against her former slave owners in American history. Uh, she was born a slave in Kentucky, but freed as an adult. Wood would later be kidnapped and sold back into slavery after the american civil war wood successfully sued her kidnapper and won financial damages and i believe we will be doing an episode on henrietta wood later this season cuz her story is amazing and deserves to be shared a lot um Hearn also wrote about the Bucktown and Levee neighborhoods of Cincinnati, which no longer exist. Uh, Bucktown is now under the central business district. It was once between Sixth and Seventh street on Broadway. Um, the Levy neighborhood, I believe was on the East end, but that one was harder to find on the old maps of the city that I was looking through. Uh, given that there was a lot of dock workers and shoremen, written about in the levee area i think it was on the east end because that's where a lot of the shipbuilding was done um the but back to bucktown it was a majority black residential neighborhood there were some irish immigrant families in the area but ordinary people again doing ordinary everyday jobs and Hearn went in and just wrote about their lives and what made them special And in a lot of ways gave them their humanity and dignity back through his writings. And this is the thing he does so well. And I know I just expounded upon it a few minutes ago. Um, He also recounted the songs um, in an article from 1876 titled Levy Life. Uh, He recounted the songs that the Steve Doors and the Longshoremen would sing while loading and working on the steamboats. He wrote the Roustabout. The rostabout life in the truest sense is then the life of the black population of the Rose and partly of Bucktown and echoes of the old plantation life still live in their songs and in their pastimes. But he's writing here in this statement is saying he's take they're taking their life experience from the plantations and transplanting it onto their life experience now. And you hear this in the songs that they would have learned back then. They could be changing the lyrics and adding on to basically the story of their lives. So he did this so well. Hearn was also the first to document the song Silo, which was dedicated to a Bucktown resident who went by the name Limber Jim. So um, not this is not this Silo from, oh man, Neil Diamond or uh, I can't remember some pops not some pop singer. I can't Billy Joel, I think had a, a song name like that. One of those two. I get them confused all the time. Christina, do, do you know? <laughs> I think it was Billy Joel. Somebody is yelling at the radio going, cat, it's this. And like a ghost right now to me. Anyway. Hearn and Maddie had a rough married life apparently I have a ghost somewhere in the studio that agrees maybe it's maddie um and it, especially here in cincinnati and they separated and reunited a number of times during their marriage and eventually they filed for divorce in 1877 and maddie remarried happily in 1880 so uh but Heard was kind of I don't want to say disgraced, but done with Cincinnati by that time in 1877. He's like, I've, I've, I've got my fill of the queen city. I don't need any more chili. I'm going to move somewhere else. And he moved to new Orleans and with the uh, the help of friend, Harry Watkin and what he wrote to Henry Watkin was it is time for a fellow to get out of Cincinnati when they begin to call it the Paris of America. So he moved to New New Orleans and he continued to write pieces for the Cincinnati commercial while he was down there. They kind of framed it as he was on vacation and these are the fun things that he's doing and the awesome things that he's seeing. But eventually he did leave the Cincinnati commercial and was hired by the Daily City Item, which was a newspaper down there down in new orleans he was hired as an editor and created during his time over 200 wood out cartoons about life and the people he met around new orleans making it the daily city item the first southern newspaper to use cartoons in the paper and because of this revelation like this revolution of illustration They became the highest circulated newspaper in New Orleans. So, oh, he just makes every newspaper he goes. He's like Midas. It just turns to gold and it just starts selling copies. In 1881, Hearn took an editorial position at the Times Democrat, translating articles from French and Spanish newspapers into English. And he also continued his translations of French books into English, which he had started as soon as he had moved to to Cincinnati back in 1870 um he continued this while he was in New Orleans um his writings just like in Cincinnati focused on the day laborers the Creole population and Louisiana voodoo he he also wrote for national magazines such oh I have lost my place uh he did write for a bunch of national magazines about his time in New Orleans uh one of them that basically financed him was Harper's Weekly magazine and this that ultimately took him to Japan but we're still in New Orleans right now uh he wrote two books while in New Orleans um let me find my place here Uh, mostly about creole culture which yet again was not really written about and wasn't seen as a special culture item it is in anthropology now my goodness I studied a lot of it when I was in school but at the time he was really breaking new ground writing about creole culture and also um, while he lived in New Orleans the Filipino American population he had articles that were the first to describe life as a Filipino American because there was villages around um, the lakes around New Orleans that had a large Filipino American population. Um, the books that he wrote, one was a book of Creole proverbs and another was a Creole cooking book that he got the help of housewives around New Orleans to write. Uh, he also wrote Chita, a Maria of Of Last Island in 1889, which is a novella based on the hurricane of 1856, first published in Harper's Monthly in 1888. Um, Let's see. In 1887, he moved to the West Indies. He was, uh, (laughs) how do I say this? Harper's Weekly had him do it. (laughs) They were like, go be our correspondent in the West Indies. And there he wrote two more books. He wrote um, Two Years in the Fresh... French West Indies and Yoma, the story of a West Indian slave during his time. In 1890, this was his big move to Japan. And uh, he moved to, this will surprise a lot of people, unless you know Japanese history. He moved to the west side of the country first around Hiroshima. So he actually moved to um, Matsuda, uh, Matsue, sorry, Um, which is a, a small city out on the west side of this country. Um, and he actually moved there as a newspaper correspondent again for Harper's Weekly. But as soon as he got there, he, discontinu- he just dropped their contract. He's like, I'm done. Bye. I'm, I'm not going to write for you anymore. So through his friend Basil Hall Chamberlain, who was a professor at the Tokyo Imperial University, Hearn moved to uh, Matsue to teach at Shimane Prefectural Common Middle School and Normal School. So he started his Um, career in japan as an english teacher this is important and i'll explain why and it brings up some interesting cultural things with his next in-laws so we are 1890 in japan in 1868 they had something called the meiji restoration and uh, this was basically a coup that took out the tokugawa Bakufu. So that was the shogunite. You've heard of samurai and shoguns and all that. So the Bakufu was that political group. And Emperor Meiji and his allies, some of them were also samurai, and a lot of them were more like other members of the political spectrum, um, did this huge coup and took power back. So after hundreds of years, during the Tokugawa um, Bakufu, that's when Japan was closed to the world. The only people they were open to were the Portuguese at times, and the Dutch. And the reason why it's not Surprising that Hearn ended up on the western side of the country was because there was a small island. It was man-made. It was on right outside of Hiroshima, and it was called Dejima, literally Dutch Island. And that's where anybody who was a Westerner you had to live there. You weren't really allowed to go on the rest of the country. You stayed on Dejima, and uh, there's a lot of fun writings during the time of Japanese how they interpret the dutch and there's a lot of fun writings about how the dutch interpreted the japanese it's it's great reading it's culture clashes galore but um anyway so in 1868 emperor meiji started bringing in foreigners to teach english german and french to japanese the Japanese population. So you started getting all these normal schools being, um, established. Um, a lot of them are Presbyterian or Protestant instead of Catholic. There's a big reason for that. We're not going into that right now, but you also have the establishment of like Waseda university, the Imperial, uh, Tokyo Imperial university, all these different universities, because Emperor Meiji wanted to westernize his country as soon as possible to catch up. And then also he started trading with a lot of people outside. There is a fun city. Uh not well, not Oh, well, it is a fun city. Um, there is a place called Meiji Mura, which means Meiji Village. It's outside of Nagoya, and it is like it's a histor- historical museum with buildings. So they took meiji era buildings that had interesting mixes of both western and japanese architecture and they've permanently keep them on display and you can walk through them there's even a um oh my god a right building um oh i just forgot oh the architect that uh, one of the american architects is really popular he he did in the uh, tokyo imperial hotel it got firebombed during World War II, but the facade is still intact and it's also on display at Meiji Mura. So if you're ever in Japan, once they reopen it after COVID, I highly, highly suggest going to Meiji Muda outside of Nagoya to um, just visit it. It's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. So that is your little history lesson. Why it's interesting that Hearn became a teacher who is being supported by the emperor and then we meet the koizumi family so in 1891 setsu koizumi or koizumi setsu uh, the daughter of a former samurai becomes the housekeeper and later lover of lucario Hearn. it's interesting i don't know what the koizumi family's status was before the restoration But it's interesting that a samurai's daughter would later marry a westerner. So it's an interesting clash of history. She was being very, very progressive by doing this. So they marry in August of 1891. And together they have four children. Kazuo Leopold Koizumi in 1893. Iwao in 1897. Kiyoshi in 1899. And their only daughter, Suzuko, In 1904, and Suzuko was born basically a year before he died. Um, He became a Japanese citizen in 1896 and adopted the name Koizumi Yakumo. So it was amazing that he took his wife's name instead of her becoming hern. It kind of saved the Koizumi name from fading into obscurity because, and this is a rumor, I remember learning. Um, Setsu only had sisters so once her father died the Koizumi name on their line would have died so Nafkari Hearn taking her name um, kept the line going to this day his great grandson comes into the story a little later on so um, during in 1894 he wrote his popular book Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan while living in Matsue then he started to work for the English language newspaper and Co- the Kobe Chronicle in 1896. So the family moved to Kobe, which would have been about an hour away. And then a little bit later that same year, they get moved to Tokyo so that he can start working as a professor at Tokyo Imperial University to teach English literature. He held that position until 1903 when he moved to Waseda University in 1904. In Go Waseda. I have friends who went there while in Tokyo he picked up judo he became a judo tech uh, I don't want practitioner there way I go in 1904 Hearn wrote his most famous book which I have here again this is Kaidang which literally means horror stories um so it's Kaidan, Stories of and Studies of, this, of Strange Things. And this, in turn, was made into an award-winning film by Kobayashi Masaki in 1964, which I've watched. It's very good. Um, the stories were taken from old manuscripts and, and get ready for a lot of very old Japanese names. Yosuo Kaidan, bokyo hakyo Jenshoi. Which is the Buddhist works of Japan. So, um, Buddhist history of Japan, basically. Kokkon Chomonju, which is a collection of notable tales of old and new, which was compiled in 1254. The Tachibara Nara by Tachibara Narasue. Sorry, sorry. little dude is running outside my door um Sudare, which i'm not sure exactly which one but these were storytelling screens so these would be screens that would divide rooms and tales would be painted and depicted on them one of the most famous is genji monogatari which is the tale of genji um that's a very very popular storytelling screen and then the hakyo monogatari kaidan kai which is the gathering of 100 supernatural tales which was a fun parlor game and story time played at night usually during the summer and the purpose was to evoke spirits this was a very fun game basically you would have three rooms that in a room in a house the storytellers would be in one room they would light 100 candles um, in a second room and would have a mirror in that and then the third room would have one single solitary candle i guess maybe the mirror was in that room and every single time you told a story you would tell this spooky story go in and extinguish a candle eventually it would just be you one candle and the mirror and if you were um strong of spirits you would tell your story and then extinguish that final candle and then maybe a spirit would be evoked out of the mirror so uh Satsu and so yeah uh, Setsuko or Satsu and Hearn translated all of those and that's where we get a lot of the stories that are in Kaidan. There are some of his own personal experiences written in it and um, then at the very tail end he puts his some uh, stories about insects and um, myths about insects. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition, but he was just going on folklore about butterflies, mosquitoes, and ants. So it, a lot of people were, who read it, I was reading the reviews, were like, why does he suddenly write about insects? And it was because butterflies symbolize the soul flying through the air in, in, in Buddhist teaching. And uh, mosquitoes are thought to be the reincarnated souls of greedy people. So uh, that's why they were included because they're strange and spooky stories. Uh, I don't really want to go through and um give a explanation like a short term of everything that's in this book, but I will highlight three. Um one is my favorite kaidan, which is or spooky story, and that would be Mimi nashi which is earless Hoichi, and it's a fun okay, no, it's not a fun story. I find it fun, but do you want to hear the story? Okay. Jen and Christina are both nodding. Yes. So this is going to be a very quick retelling, but I highly encourage you to read Kaidan and um, also watch the movie if you want it, They do a pretty good retelling of Kaidan. So, um, nashi Hoichi, or Earless Huichi. Is a blind Buddhist monk who is proficient at the biwa, which is a traditional Japanese instrument, kind of like a mandolin. And he performs for the ghosts of shipwrecked Heike Emperor Antoku and his court. But he doesn't know that at the time. He basically gets a summons from what he thinks is a wandering samurai to play for his um, uh, caretaker. And So Hoichi goes and he plays for this caretaker, um, I think it's a domio, and his court. As he plays, he can hear people crying and moaning and he thinks, I'm doing a really good job. He's singing about the um, tale of the Heikei War that happened hundreds of years before. But as he's also playing, the ghosts are stealing his energy. This happens for several nights. And finally, one of his fellow monks at Amidaiji Temple discovers that he is basically being consumed by these ghosts spiritually. So they write Buddhist sutras all over his body, but they forget his ears. And Osho, his friend, sends him back to Amidaiji Temple's cemetery to play one more time for these ghosts. And when he shows up, the ghosts can't see him because he has the protection of Buddha all over his body, except for his ears. So the um, spirits take his ears, which makes him earless. But he still continues to play the biwa because he's so proficient, he can play it without being able to hear. So, and and that's the end of the story. It's very good. These are all very short stories. And if you are a fan of Kabuki, or, um, puppet play, or even no theater. Um, a lot of these stories are also traditional stories in those particular, uh, arts. So that's really what Hearn and his wife, uh, Setsu translated were these kabuki plays. And this became an all-time bestseller. Um, they live very comfortably off of the royalties from this book. Trans- and, uh, It also hit a good time because this is when interest in Japan was growing. I mean, uh, Christina, you're probably really familiar with that. And I cannot say the French term where everyone loved Japanese things. And like Monet was painting his wife in a kimono and all of that. This hit at that time. So this was a huge bestseller. And for a really long time, it was one of the few translations we had in English. And he eventually translated it into French um of japanese ghost stories because that stuff wasn't being written about ghost stories just like now are highly consumable and are a form of entertainment and um it just wasn't considered or deemed important to bother writing down until this time so um other notable stories are um The first instance of Yukiona, which is the snow woman being translated into English. And also uh, Roku Rokubi, which is the um, yokai, the monster that has a really long neck. (laughs) And also Mujina, which are fun. They're faceless entities that will just like to startle travelers on um, roads And what's interesting is to this day, there are accounts of Mujina still being witnessed in both Japan and Hawaii. So um, there are, I've gotten ghost stories of Mujina being encountered in movie theaters in Hawaii. So, um, yeah, that's, so Kaidan, I highly suggest everyone go read it. So on September 26, 1904, Hearn died of heart failure at his home in Tokyo. He's buried at Zoshigaya Cemetery in Tokyo's Toshima district. Um, the thing that is interesting is that his grandson actually runs the Lafcardo Hearn Memorial Museum in Matsue, Japan. His name is Koizumi Bon. And um, he is very passionate about keeping his family's literary history in circulation. Um, I will say the Japanese population kind of love Lafcadio, like we love Edgar Allan Poe. So um, they're, if you say you're from Cincinnati and you love ghost stories, everyone's just like, ah, oh, Koizumi Yakumo, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. So uh, that is our famous person that no one really ever knows about, Lafcadio Heard
1: from Cincinnati. So. That is such an interesting story thank you um I'm kind of curious what yay gig lamps meant it has to be some sort of pun or joke I, I mean that know. might be a Jeff C's question because That's he probably knows C's. I mean it seems like you know it was very popular to have satirical writings in the 1800s I mean obviously they didn't have TV or anything but mm-hmm. Mark Twain comes to mind with his um Americans Abroad series and that sort of thing which was also the same time Um, but I I, I'm sure that they even probably have some of the cartoons and stuff at the Billy Ireland Museum that would be something worth checking out
0: yeah if they if not they should Um, the Hamilton Public Hamilton sorry Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library does have um, the PDF it's available and you can read through it and try to scroll through it, and try to read the tiny, 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 tiny text. Oh my goodness, they squished so much into it. (laughs) But I love it. It's like one, it's it's the Cincinnati zine. Hmm. It feels like one of the first, but I know it's not the only.
1: He seems like he must have been a very charismatic character, because his story is so interesting, and it was so unusual for the time. Mm -hmm. And unusual in some ways. I mean, I think that, like you described there was sort of an awakening in the late 1800s, an interest in Asian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the French word is. Um, I know when we were just sketching at the wooden, at wooden nickel, they mm-hmm. had a couple statues, which they described as being from the Orientalism period, which yeah. was the late 1800s hmm. and all these people. And you see it, like if you go to the art museum right now, they have some like carvings and furniture companies that made stuff in an Asian tradition, but they were made mm-hmm. like in Cincinnati and that sort of thing. And yes. all the imagery was, uh, I, I would say appropriated. From oh yeah. All Asian of it cultures. was appropriated. Um,
0: our, the Cincinnati has a very strong tie with Japan. We have uh, the Japan America society of greater Cincinnati. We are the, I believe one of the oldest chapters Um, in the United States. The first one is in Boston. And then I Mm. think it was Washington, D.C. And then I think it was Cincinnati. And I'm a member of that. Um, And uh, we have the cherry blossoms, the cherry trees in Alt Park. Um, The original set were sent by the mayor of Tokyo in the 1930s. And then the second set, which is near the Tori Gate, which is that big, random wooden sculpture that's the midst of all these cherry trees uh that was 2008 that was the um japan america society so nice we we replanted those i helped maintain them well fun every spring and every fall we go out and we either add the deer barrier so the deer don't eat it or um we take them down and then clean up the area and then um we have um um cherry blossom viewing um whenever the blossoms are ready and you'll just see basically everybody from the group camping out and having a picnic underneath the cherry blossoms Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: it's called and we sketch the
1: cherry blossoms every year but usually we go to we usually go to um spring grove over Mm -hmm. i like alt park as well um Mm -hmm. i think we probably should sketch more in alt park uh Going to Spring Grove's kind of our go-to for cherry blossoms. Well,
0: Spring Grove has really beautiful cherry blossoms too. I don't know the history of those. I just know the history of the ones in Alt Park.
1: Well, knowing more about the Alt Park ones makes you want to sketch them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. the weeping cherry blossoms that are on the way in or the mm-hmm. on the way out on observatory, those are the original 1930s ones. Wow. Oh, that's wow. pretty
1: cool. Yeah,
0: and they do really a lot of work to keep them in good shape. That's why, um, If you've been yelled at by somebody from the Japan America Society for putting a hammock in one of the trees, that is why, because they're almost a century old. Please don't put hammocks on the cherry trees. Just please don't do it. It ruins them. It breaks branches and whatnot. So,
1: His story is begging for some sort of sequential adaptation on Netflix or something. I mean, it sounds like he had enough... Conflict in his life that it would have been a very interesting episodic story because also I mean you have the New Orleans for, you know times you have the times in in Cincinnati and then the times in Japan and each has its own issues and conflicts I mean that seems like that would be really interesting to write up I wonder if anyone's ever tried to do it
0: I don't know I am looking up to see if there's a manga there has to be a manga I would it, it's
1: yeah.
0: Yes, there is a manga. Um, <laughs>
1: but nothing in the U.S. Nothing no, in the US so that was one of the
0: interesting, so the manga uh, sorry, they did a manga version of Kaidan, and it's Shueisha that does that. Um, so I can't look at it right now, but what's interesting, and the Lefcardio Hearn group here in Cincinnati, um, let me look up their full title again. Um, and also the research I have to scroll up to our uh, sources. So the Love Cardio Hern society of America and the Japan research center of greater Cincinnati are currently fundraising to get our own plaque here in the city for Love Cardio Hern. Now mm-hmm. where he lived no longer exists. I believe it's a parking lot now as is a lot of those old apartment buildings. But, um, New Orleans has his entire house that he rented out for that decade. He lived there. It's preserved. I mean, there's a high rise right next to it and a parking lot on the other side. It looks super out of place, but they still have it. And in Matsue, they have the, ori- his original house that he rented when he met Setsu. So uh, his mm. wife. Um, so um, those houses are preserved. Interesting. They even have his apartments in Kobe for the hot second he lived there. But um, not. we don't have anything. We have no busts, no plaques, nothing here in Cincinnati. Hmm. So they're fundraising and they're trying to always bring attention to the fact that this brilliant writer got his start here in Cincinnati writing about all of our dead people.
1: <laughs> That's almost unheard of for someone yeah. from from the U S at any time moving to Japan and becoming a famous writer there.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we should include him in a future cabinet of curiosities.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah. You really should. Jen, do you want to write the story?
2: <laughs> uh, sure.
1: Yay. Yeah, you know, that would be one that actually would be a whole issue and you could have a, you could have a story for each part of his life. So you I could have the Cincinnati story. Right, And the New Orleans story.
2: All written and show. done by some different people? Yeah. That'd be that's fun. A good idea. You would have I mean, to teach me how to write for comic
0: books. I don't know how to do that. It's it's not too difficult. Okay. You, you,
1: you, it, it would be really interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uniquely Cincinnati. And so many people don't know about it. I mean, it seems like he should be taught not only in Cincinnati history, but in literature and that sort of thing.
0: Just like everyone learns about Mark Twain. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. Seems I very agree. Much I the w- Twain w- thing.
2: I mm-hmm. had no idea. I'm kind of glad I were. I kind of have that inquire connection with him. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that they fired him. I mean, I got laid off from the inquire, so I'm like, I don't blame him for not going back. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's. I guess uh, a leopard never changes their spots. I'm sorry so to, to hear that. So Jen. to speak. Oh, and it, it's just you know, like, huh,
1: huh, yeah. yeah. I think.
2: More people in Cincinnati need to know about him because he sounds like a really cool guy. I wish I could have
0: known.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I well, like. You know, him. I, it, it's somebody. It. I didn't know about him when I started researching Japanese legends when I was in school in university, and I learned about him just because of Kaidan and one of my professors. And I'm like, wow, this is. I mean, I I'm not from Greece. But I'm from the Midwest and I lived in Japan and studied ghost stories. So it, there's a in love macabre stories and true crime. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, if anything, just at least synchronized soul grouping going on or something like that. Definitely. So totally in, would have uh, gotten along with him if we he was brilliant together. brilliant too. I think he was a. <laughs> well, he had to
1: have lot. been. I mean, yeah. looking at his history, he had to be sort of an amazing person. I mean, yeah, this is he not spoke a,
0: a lot of languages. He picked yeah, up on languages quickly. Very smart. Almost yeah. like
1: a super person.
0: Yeah. Well, and he had forethought. Yeah. But man, did he have a hard time when he was young. So, yeah. Like well, his mom left when he was four. No. So mm-hmm. What, what ended were, his first marriage? It you know? Like they just didn't get along. Um, mm-hmm. No, it was, I mean, it. Yeah there isn't anything that goes into a lot of description of what ended his first marriage mm. um, other than marriage or marriage. Am I right? Type of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, the inquirer using his marriage to Maddie as the reason to fire him did not help things at all. And no, that had to be very hard. It had to be hard. And I mean, they powered through it for a few more years, but eventually there's just, yeah, went their separate ways.
1: Sometimes okay. artists like that and writers are difficult to live with, too. I mean, yeah. it, it could have yeah. been, it's hard to describe what married life would have been like. I mean, maybe he may he wasn't. not have been home a lot, he was going to hmm. dangerous places.
0: Well, it doesn't sound
1: like they had any children, so no. perhaps that there were some difficulties with that, and maybe. maybe there's some tensions. I mean, it could have been. I mean, I we're totally, you know, we're going to speculation on this, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's just really nothing written. But but um, just just thinking about you know a lot of times when you see like these types of writers and and people sometimes they are difficult to live with. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we don't yeah. know that, but I mean, he seems like he was a, such a strong personality. I can yeah. just
0: imagine him coming home with like the burial ground mud all over him, and Maddie <laughs> yeah. just looking over and sighing, and she's like, "I don't even want to." Where have you been today? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I was writing about the the new music hall being built and the bones—they're yellow and decay. And she's just like, "I don't want to hear about it. Just leave your shoes at the
1: door." Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, it sounded—I mean, reading what you said here, it sounded like they got broke up and got together a couple different times. They did. And so that to me often means that it's very passionate. Like, there's like, you know. But I don't know. Like I said, I'm just fan fictioning it.
0: <laughs> yeah, um
1: I, I like to bro- think
0: at in today they would be together still where yeah. Setsu mm-hmm. would never have known him, but mm-hmm. um Setsu was very supportive of him, helped translate mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. So yeah. he probably he was picking up Japanese at the time. Western Japanese mm-hmm. is not Eastern side Japanese. Mm-hmm. That sounds really strange. If okay, let me rephrase that. We're taught Tokyo Japanese, like the speech patterns. Like when people learn English, they hear Midwestern English. Mm-hmm. And it's like being thrown into the deep south. Mm. If you don't know anything but Midwestern English. So suddenly there are pronunciations and twangs on on an emphasis on words that you weren't used to. But mm-hmm. he went from learning that first to then the um, more standardized Japanese in Tokyo. So it, it's, wow, that the accent change would be... is there's it even completely... verb and adverb differences, too, between hmm. the is, two... Is it different enough to be a
1: separate dialect, or is it... Yeah, they're
0: different dialects. So um, I lived in Nagoya, and that is Chubut, which is the center of the country. And although it isn't too different than Tokyo-ben or Tokyo dialect, it's different enough that there are verbs... That are different and adverbs that are different, um, that n- and even like the big the big rivalries between Osaka and Tokyo. So um, and then again you have um, adverbs and changes, noun changes. There's they're close enough that you could figure out an approximation. It's like crisps versus chips type of thing Mm -hmm. like you could figure it out by context but sometimes you're just kind of especially as somebody who's learning this as a third or fourth language you're just sitting there going i think i know by context what you're talking about but i'm not sure
2: (laughs) so so my brother-in-law i think i've mentioned that he has lived in different countries and he speaks three different languages and so to his parents and I was talking to his mom over Christmas and she has a very strong Italian accent. And so sometimes it, it's hard to understand her English, but she said to me in her brain, like wherever she is, she's going through the different languages in her head before she can get the, the word out in the language she's speaking. And I'm like, that is completely alien to me because my, I don't work that way. I You know, so knowing and being able to write into that and translate it into different, it's just amazing.
0: So I get it completely because there will be times where I want to respond in Japanese first and I Mm -hmm. have to sit back for a second and go, what is it in English? And and then if you notice, sometimes I just sit here and think for a second and I'm like Mm -hmm. trying to translate in my head. So... um, Yeah, you're just getting to that point where you're constantly translating. Um, My actual, I'm not an arts degree uh, holder. I have a um, bachelor, well, I guess a bachelor's of arts um, in East Asian language and culture studies, which is in Mm -hmm. Japanese. And my training is to be an interpreter. So I'm constantly ping-ponging between English and Japanese to this day mm-hmm. and if you meet me in person I bow because living and I, I have over 20 years of Japanese cultural experience. This is mm-hmm. just something I do to everyone now. Just yeah. out of and then also I go mm mm, mm if I, our listeners may have noticed that I instead of going uh-huh or something like that mm which is a Japanese thing they it's okay. to signify that you're still listening interesting but it so there's a little linguist things that I've picked up from the language and behaviors, but, yeah. um, it throws destined... some people off, especially when I bow to them. And it's not like a deep bow. It's just like, a, yeah. Hey, like this yeah. Yeah, on YouTube, you can see it. So it's just this tiny little degree bow, but some people especially that aren't expecting it just go, what, what did you just do? And I'm like, Oh, I've I'm always sorry. been
2: fascinated by the bow and it mainly, you know, cause growing up with my mom being, buddhist i was around a lot of asian cultures and Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and it was i don't know i I always enjoyed them you know and it's just a a really cool sign of respect Mm -hmm. it it doesn't it's not like kind of like the curtsy that you do with the the queen that seems a little bit more subservient than the bow does you know it's a
0: just a friendly greeting kind of um you're a human being i respect you yeah (laughs) a little affirmation basically yeah and like the degrees of bowing differ depending on respect and all that but there's just a little casual head bob that people everyone does and i picked up on that yeah and uh yeah so fun things and i'm sure this is something that lafcario did and explained uh the museum that's in uh, matsue has a lot of his writings and his personal effects so oh, cool. I would love to see that travel around. That would be but... so
1: cool to see someday. I mean, mm-hmm. one wonders with when it comes to different dialects in countries like Japan or any country really. I mean, all of Europe was different dialects. Italy didn't mm-hmm. have a unified language till World War II. Right. I wonder if uh in in if any of this has changed with uh sort of technology and television and seeing Accents sort of start to be assimilated, and and there to be more standardized teaching of language. I mean, oh yeah, back we in the eighteen hundreds, there was no travel. I mean, that's no. why people uh-huh. probably sounded so different, even though they were speaking a similar language.
2: Yeah, it's still kind of sad though to lose those.
1: It is. Um, yeah, it it made a
0: little locations unique and people mm-hmm. that came from those places unique. I mean, there also can be some bullying done on the yeah. opposite side for being yeah. like from a village versus the city
2: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah it, it's those special little regional things that made those regions special and made everything just fun to travel when you have mm-hmm. everyone speaking the same and wearing similar clothes and all that mm-hmm. the magic of travel kind of starts to die yeah everyone looks the same so yeah. um yeah.
1: like they say about the ohio having applebees everywhere
0: Or McDonald's or every
2: single (laughs) freaking city you go in has a cracker barrel. We're
1: getting this sort of ubiquitous sort of thing where everything ends up being homogenized. Yeah. And and that is sad to lose, like you said, the cultural um, flavor of each town and city and the different. I'm sure that like the different there's meaning to everything in their clothing and, you know, artwork and stuff that's Mm -hmm. very village related.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like tie dye. Like, um, mm-hmm. um, oh, was it Shiraboshi? The um, art of tie dye, like, especially in the Northern Alps, is different than in other parts of the country in Japan. Oh, and, um, yeah, that it's it's just that, that art is still around, but like trying to save kimono, um, the actual silk kimonos that you would wear, the formal ones, they're trying to find ways to repurpose it in this 21st century modern era because. Young women and men don't want to wear it, so uh, yeah. they want to wear Western clothes or fuku. So, um,
1: yeah, is that changing? Because it seems like there's a resurgence in an interest in some of the old. <sighs> it's,
0: it's 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 just gone up and down every few years. It, it's gone down recently because it's so expensive, mm-hmm. and yeah. everyone's going through the same kind of global recession. So for the past oof, 12 years or so now, mm-hmm. so or, no, 20, we're going since 2008. So God, I can't believe math.
2: that's almost spent 20 years. Math
0: cat, math, 14, <laughs> 14 years. So, <laughs> uh, um, hi. Ooh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, kimono, like you can rent them. It's really common to rent them. You know. Oh, kind of like a tux. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that.
1: But this and, is so fascinating. I, I'd like to learn more. I mean, maybe we can even have more shows about this.
0: I, mean, I can hammer yeah. on about Japanese culture forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know one of the, I will say, I'm aware of the criticism that I am an extremely, extremely pale woman who is going on about waxing nostalgic about Japan. And I get it. It sounds weird. But I got over it. years. Yeah, but you have...
2: You have the experience to back it up. It's not like you're just trying to assimilate another culture to be interesting.
0: I was a Goodwill ambassador. Yeah. So for my home city to their sister city. Speaking of sister cities, Cincinnati has a sister city in Japan. It's Gifu City. And through the Japan America Society, usually every year in August, we host students from Gifu University. So yeah, it's cool. cool. We have a very deep and well-loved relationship with Japan.
2: You know what's funny? When I was going through my grandfather's house Hmm. and, like, finding all the old pictures that I had never seen. uh, I don't know if this was the 60s, maybe? 50s? There's a lot of... Actually, I think I have a kimono that was my grandmother's. Ooh. Ooh. She was very tiny. So it's not like I can wear it. I'll have to look at it. And it, it there were pictures of them having like a Japanese theme party. <laughs> it's just ah. like I'm not too sure about that. But they were having fun, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: okay. Like, hmm. do you know what what kind of fabric is the kimono? I'm not sure. I want to.
2: Well. I'm thinking it's silk, but I don't know. I haven't really polyester looked at it. Polyester
0: was very popular post-war. Could have been polyester. I have I will polyester have to look. ones. Vintage polyester ones from the okay. 70s. Oh, okay. how interesting. They're hot and sweaty, just like the leisure suits. Ugh. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess
1: they, they've they've gotten down the mixture of, of plastic mm. to make it feel like real fibers. Because our clothes yeah, are still mostly plastic, now. but not as yeah. good as. But yeah. they, I suppose you could say they breathe
0: more. Yeah. Allegedly, I love but, my '70s kimono though. They they're all day
1: glow, or oh my gosh. They're, or they're the burnt umber and avocado green. Do you have a picture green. of yourself in one that we get, or a picture of one? If you don't have to, a, just a picture of one we could. Post. I have
0: so a picture I have for you to use is actually the kimono that my host family gave me when I graduated university, and Aww. I have a photo with them in it. Um. And
2: now were they was it kind of like a family shield back in the day like they had different designs
0: and stuff? No. Um though those those do exist, uh that time we may want to save this for a Patreon exclusive bit. So, um detailing kimono a little bit, there's a lot of different types. So the ones where you would have your um hunkel or the family seal, actually that Oh, Sorry, it's not a hunko, it's mon. Um, It's worn on the back and it, it would be an all-black kimono and you wear mm. those for formal events. So for men, you could wear it on your wedding day but you usually would wear them for two weddings or to a funeral of a direct oh. family member. Okay. So um, that's when you'd be wearing those. Instead, kimono patterns are very poetic just like poems. Um, if you study a lot of east asian poems it could be in korean or chinese as well um they will have different flowers for each season in different colors and different patterns oh fun so um in let's say february you have uh the plum blossoms will start blooming on plum trees and those are a really light pink or white so you will see a lot of um light pink kimono with plum blossoms on them or a dark red with white plum blossoms on them. And then as you move into March and April with actual cherry trees, you'll start seeing greens and pinks with cherry blossoms on them. Mm-hmm. Wisteria is for your midsummer. Um, and then, um, oh, in May you would have um, hydrangeas. So a lot of blues and purples. So mm-hmm. you could tell what time of year it is, if it's, if it's somebody who pays attention, that kind of stuff. Um, you can basically read a kimono just like a poem or a sumier uh ink and wash painting and know oh, wow. what time of year it is almost to the week, because it really? will change from week to week. Oh wow and um what the intent was by the wearer or the writer or the illustrator or painter and all this intent. And um wow. I can go on and dissect all this stuff. That is what I did for university. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had no was, idea it was that. It's that very intricate. Exact and, and intricate. So, um, what you would wear, you would have your outer kimono, and then you had two or three layers of inner kimono. And then those colors also would all coordinate. And then your OB, that big sash, would coordinate. The way it was tied would signify something. The length oh, wow. of the sleeves signifies something. The way that it's folded signifies something it wow. there's um so fun thing um my host mom's family was a kimono maker Ooh, so you oh, get nice. me this huge historian and fan about all the poems and literature and everything so the two of us would just spend hours just going through kimono stores and just being like and she was oh, shodo wow. which is traditional calligraphy the two of us meshed so well they just yeah. geek oh, out so awesome. over old, old traditional things. So.
2: so I'm guessing they have their fabrics spe- spe- specifically made for um, a,
0: spe- a very
2: specific Yeah. So each kimono. Reason?
0: Yeah. Well, n- nowadays no one has the money to do that. Well, <laughs> no one. how has, did really they back no then? Could, yeah. Like, I don't. Well, yeah. the people that would be buying the kimono to do that would be your aristocracy. So well, high- yeah samurai class during the bakufu and after that it would be people that were in um elite roles so a lot of those professors that were being brought over to uh tokyo um they they high paying positions Hmm. so he was uh quite easily part of at least the higher 10 percent if not the one percent And so they were rich to begin with. I mean, I I sent you the photos of the Koizumi family. They were wealthy to begin with, to be able to have those photos taken of them when they did. And every single time Setsu is in full kimono, multiple layers, her hair Mm -hmm. is on form. So um, they were well to do to begin with the Mm -hmm. Koizumi family. So they have a really nice house too. That's now the museum. Oh, neat.
1: That's really That's fascinating. Well, is. um, this is—I mean, like I said, we could do more episodes on him. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. more we could find out. Uh, maybe talk to Jeff. I mean, this is yeah. really interesting. I would love I mean, to talk so to the
0: people who do the Le- Le- cardio Hearn groups Ooh. here in the United States. Here in have you talked Manny. to anyone? I have not. I learned about them today, mm-hmm. and I'm like, guys, I'm part of the Greater America, the Japan America Society. How come I've never heard of you? <laughs> right we're in the same group <laughs> but um Whoa. yeah they're, they're very very small but i would be interested in talking to them about making a comic about loft cardio in, in english mm. um like you said jen so oh. future corpse flower press right on brand with that publishing name
1: mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> um, exactly yeah I'm so
2: look up his book and read his stories Yes. So uh, we do
1: have a haunt this week. Yay. I did manage to get one. And there's actually several people writing them. Um, I've got like four or five stories that people are putting together, including a cryptid story. So yes. um, hopefully we'll have those in the next. We'll be letting them out gradually through the season. Let, you know, letting them, you know, we want to ration them. We don't want to use them all up in once. So we'll be getting some more. Yeah. But uh, if you want, I'll go ahead and read this one. Yes, yes, please. And it is, uh, we had a haunt previously from Kevin. And he sent this to our hometown haunts email, which we will go through that again. Um, And it says, and thanks, Kevin, for sending that. While spending the weekend with friends in rural Alabama in the mid-1980s, I was awakened for the first night when someone grabbed my shoulder and shook me. The room was very dark, but I opened my eyes to see a tall, thin shadow figure looking like an Alberto Giacometti sculpture. I mumbled apologies, thinking I was snoring loudly and that the hostess was trying to wake me. As I watched, the figure cocked its head to one side the way a dog does when you speak to it, but more slowly and eerily. Then the figure slowly faded. I put it down to being in a dark room Were the rods and cones working better than the periphery of our vision at night, creating a darker space at the center of our vision? But when I awoke the next morning, the hostess asked me how well I'd slept. I told her, I slept fine, except, is there something in this house? I don't know how to phrase the silly question about being visited by a Geocometti sculpture at night. Haunted, she finished for me. Yes, it is. Did something bother you? That freaked me out. How could she have known what I was going to ask? I am normally a skeptic, but that gave credibility to my experience.
0: No. Oh,
1: oh I love that. Yeah. Oh, Kevin, I love that. It's very nicely written. Thanks,
2: Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That, that's a story right there.
1: That is.
2: Uh, yeah, oh. I love the
1: idea of it being like a Geocometti sculpture. Yeah.
2: I don't know what that looks like.
1: It's Italian, like, sort oh. of. It almost sounds angelic, really. Yeah. About it. The Giacometti
0: sculptures are the ones that are highly detailed, correct? With like, I believe so. Yeah. That so, just imagine like the Italian like statue of David. I, he but was, just I
1: think it was he gotcha. was pre, Michelangelo, I believe. Yeah. I, I'll have to look at it. I mean, yeah. I've seen some of his stuff like in the Uffizi and stuff.
0: Yeah. Just really detailed. Yeah. Like, is no. he the one that did the um, flayed man?
1: sculpture um that i don't know
0: oh anyway we're (laughs) that one's a good one because it's the statue is just it's one of the saints who's been flayed alive but him standing there he's in muscle and tendons and then as you look at the sculpture you realize he's holding his skin oh and the skin has fingernails and everything and it's it's all in marble Again with the macabre love, I love it. I'm like, that's so cool. But <laughs> I would, I could handle that better than
2: if it were made to look more realistic. Like, if oh no, it was... it's super
0: realistic.
1: In oh, okay.
2: okay, okay. But well, it's you know, white, it's interesting, right? and
1: and this it's not red. <laughs> these these sculptures were, were Renaissance sculptors, but it's interesting when you see rec- uh, when they recreate Rome and mm. all of those statues that you think of as being not painted were fully painted. Oh yeah, they were fully painted. So, um it's interesting to imagine what it would have been like to see them yeah. at their heyday. You ever
2: wonder like when an artist back in the day like that created something super detailed and realistic, mm-hmm. what were they how did they get there? Like, were they doing a body snatcher, snatcher yes. type of thing? Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, Leonardo the-
1: da Vinci got in trouble several times for sketching from corpses. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And dissection. Yes. I don't know if I he actually dissected them. He probably did work with a. Um, but yes, he he got in trouble several times for right sketching that he from- dissected himself. That I cannot remember. I just know that if you look at his sketchbooks, he actually had drawn pictures of organs and stuff like that that had been dissected whether he was the dissector is hard to say he probably was able to just watching someone
0: just get in on that action like early doctors (laughs) working on it he's like oh look a liver i I mean it makes sense it It makes sense this just goes back to our body snatching episode a few episodes Mm -hmm, ago mm -hmm. yeah i'm interested in kevin's story like he says it's a shadow, but yet he was still able to make out all these details. So mm-hmm. that, that's fascinating to me. It's a good story. Well, And, you that, know, and he well, had
2: the physical experience with it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes.
1: Well, mm-hmm. it kind of goes with what you were talking about, hearing somebody shout in your ear. And mm-hmm. we've had a couple people talk about that experience. And so was this something that was even sort of a dream state where you're not totally awake, but it feels so real? Yeah, yeah. that's it's hard to say.
0: That one's hard to say. That one I'm gonna start saying less likely if he mm-hmm. got grabbed. Cause yeah. I've been grabbed out of my sleep too by an unknown entity. I have a story for everything, goodness. And um I'll tell that a different time. But yeah, don't it shocks don't touch you me. awake. Yeah, it They please. tend <laughs> to be cold and mm-hmm. when they grab you. So you're just like bam. This is yeah. like somebody just dumped cold water on you. So Wow Um and I don't know, Kevin. Was that how it was for you? That's how it was for me. And
1: well, it sounds like it really freaked him out. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, would freak would, me out.
0: That would you having mean, somebody that'd... like not only shock you awake, but be like right there. And then disappear. And then, mm. disappear. Yeah, then just yeah, disappear. That's... No. So when
2: I was a teenager, I uh or maybe this was like eighth grade, freshman year, I had a sleepover with some friends at another friend's house, and I had never been to her house. And she told me her house was haunted. I'm like okay whatever so but when we went to bed I woke up and I just heard like this really loud scratching noise <laughs> like someone was scratching nails down like over wood or just on the hallway and I'm like well that's scary I'm just gonna try to go back to sleep <laughs>
1: I just heard claws <laughs> on the wall. I mean, I yeah. just go back to sleep. I mean, yeah. nothing. I mean nothing with claws. I yeah. never said,
2: I never told her about it or asked her about it. So I don't know if someone was, it was, was a sleepover. Maybe someone was messing with me, but
0: mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I, I was just hyped up from her telling me that I it will, was haunted. <laughs> I will say, with Kevin's story, that's an experience I haven't had huh? being shaken awake by a ghost. Wow. No,
1: yeah. That surprises me, actually yeah as sensitive as you are
0: yeah Um, it's not not one that's happened so congratulations kevin i don't know what award you've just won
1: (laughs) well on that note uh i guess yes wrap up
0: yes let's wrap we're gonna wrap up on that bombshell so thank you everyone for joining us for another wonderful episode of the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities presents the home down Hods podcast you can keep up with us on our social media. That is scrolling underneath me on YouTube. But for those of you listening over the speakers or your headphones, you can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, Sinny of Curiosities on Instagram, and like Kevin. You can send us your hometown spooky haunts to Hometown Haunted at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Cat Loco with Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. Thank you. Good night. It's so spooky. <laughs>